To the podcast. You're listening to Marvin Gaye's 1971 hit, Mercy, Mercy Me, The Ecology, which is also our series title for Environmental Awareness Month. And I hope to continue the conversation. Thanks to Kelly for doing a great job last week kicking us off. And I want to talk about eco-spirituality with the hopes of maybe, just maybe demystifying some of the things around uh, the terminology when it comes to eco-spirituality. Eco-spirituality is not exclusively a Christian term, but uh, it's a broad term for just think about it. I I like to think about the connection between environmentalism and religion. So living with an eco-spiritual perspective just means uh, you have a sense of a connection to transcendence, which is rooted in the natural world. So if we're thinking about it from a Christian perspective, a way t- to maybe narrow that understanding a little bit is through an incarnational aspect of the Christian life, which says something like uh, Christ unites us and embeds us in the natural world. And from there, we live in an ever-growing kinship with, with all things and maybe even beyond kinship. And I want to talk a little bit more about eco-anxiety on Sunday, and I have a sense of where we're going to go with that uh, conversation, and the feelings that uh, go along with eco-anxiety. I know that um, we talked about it a little bit last week uh, during Sunday service, the feelings of powerlessness, frustration, fear about the current and future state of humanity and the planet, because I think that these are... Uh, important to uh, how we approach eco-spirituality, because not only are they understandable given the severity of the condition, but I think they're merited. If we're going to have an eco-spirituality, an eco-spiritual perspective, uh, it has to incorporate all of that emotion and eco-anxiety along with it. Uh, And I think in order, if if we're ever going to have some measure uh, (laughs) to be able to live with uh, resiliency and joy here and now and going forward, it's going to have to have a real sober conversation about uh, that reality. So let's, let's maybe talk about eco-spirituality, how, how I'm sort of synthesizing that right now, and then we'll, talk, we'll see where it goes on Sunday. We'll talk about that. Um, so when we talk about eco-spirituality, <laughs> I think sometimes it really can become mystified. Like it can seem sort of like unattainable or something uh, that only St. Francis and people of that sort of stature could really attain. And um, even when you, I, when, at least for me, when I hear the term uh, eco-spirituality, images come to mind of pristine green meadows with 
spring flowers or crystal clear creeks flowing with mountain water. Uh, <laughs> while these things are um, fine, I, they're, they're totally normal to think about that, I guess. Uh, I think sometimes they can do a disservice to how we might think about eco-spirituality and, and live that out and how it might hinder some of our, our conversations as a community or how we even might talk to others about eco-spirituality or how we would even incorporate that uh, for people that might not have a context for what that term even could mean, right? Because um, I think sometimes eco-spirituality is just talked about from an academic perspective or a the theoretical perspective or a spiritual perspective as if spirituality is somehow exists in this box outside of everyday real life where we have to you know, do laundry and the dishes and go to work. And I want to embed eco-spirituality in a Christian theological framework that is Christ-centered and involves the dirty and scandalous, frankly, tradition of Christ. And maybe before that, I'll back up. I, I wanted to read this quote I came across this week by Hildegard of Bingen. She writes, God is a life that bestows life, root of the world tree and wind in its branches. She is glistening life, alluring all praise, awakening and all resurrecting. So as we think about the scandalous tradition of Christ, how we might think about eco-spirituality given the, the gospels and the ways in which we talk about the life of Jesus being about liberation, how do we incorporate how our vision for ourselves and the future of our kids and our grandkids and the planet with the tradition of Jesus that is about the poor, the outcast, the prisoner, uh, all of the scandalous boundary crossing that Jesus does. And I, I was thinking about, uh, there's a British anthropologist named Mary Douglas, and she's famously credited with a phrase that dirt is matter out of place. And one aspect of what she's getting at with this statement is the symbolic role of dirt in our lives as an object that is simply crossing a boundary. So what is constituted as dirty is just, just relative to our expectations in a given environment based on our established boundaries. For example, the, the dirtiest that I have ever been physically was at a cross-country meet in Round Rock, Texas during my junior year of high school. And it was pouring all night and all morning, and they, dro they drove us down to Round Rock, which is near Austin. So it's about an hour bus ride, and it is just pouring the whole way there. And we're getting you know, the race is giving updates, uh, you know, like whether or not the, they were going to actually go through with the race. And we get there and the entire course <laughs> is underwater. No lie. I mean, just inches and inches of water all over this entire course. And we get there in the bus and everyone's like, there's no way you could actually physically run in so much water because the whole thing was just puddles. And puddles is not even the right word. It was, there were lakes. <laughs> there were lakes of water everywhere. And eventually, the race directors said, all right, every, everybody's here, we're running. And the times weren't even time. They shouldn't even have clocked the race because it didn't really matter. We, we were just sliding through five kilometers of mud and water. And 
it's just one of the most memorable and fun days of my life. And we had to wipe the mud from our, our eyes, and we were covered head to toe. But that was the expectation. We knew that we were going to get muddy, and we were going to be wet, and there was no staying clean. That was absolutely the expectation. But if we were to not shower and walk back into our homes later that day covered in mud, no matter what, that mud would have been out of place. And of course, nobody would would have been happy about that. So I, I want us to think about this, this concept of dirt being matter out of place and to really think about this in terms of a Christian eco-spirituality and a, a dirty theology. Dirty theology is a term... I know I've mentioned it many times before at Mission Hills, is a term that I got from one of my favorite thinkers, Kester Bruin, and his basic argument is that in this concept of matter being out of, dirt being matter out of place, that one of Jesus's primary functions in culture was challenging the expectations and boundaries of his day, what was considered clean and dirty. So Jesus hangs out with tax collectors and sinners, talks to women, heals people on the Sabbath, defends the belovedness of the dishonorable, blesses the poor, admonishes the widow, defends the prisoner, heals the sick. He's doing all of these things that are boundary crossing, uh, challenging the expectations of his day. Uh, This is what I mean by dirty theology. And I think this has implications for when we think about demystifying eco-spirituality, particularly from a Christian perspective, not to think it as some unattainable thing outside the realm of our everyday life and the anxiety and challenges that we all inevitably face. That I think sometimes we think uh, of eco-spirituality as something that we have to to really attain, or it's some sort of purified form of spirituality that we we go over here and get a little bit, and then we bring it back into our lives. And then we go over here and get a little bit. But if we think about it, that is really just the way that most conventional Christianity operates. Uh, you know, in evangelical Christianity, you know, you go to church camp, have a little bit of a church camp high, and then you go back to school, and, you know, you have homework and all this kind of stuff. And then you just need to go get a little bit more of that at youth group, and then you come back to church or whatever, or you come back to your real life or whatever, real problems. Uh, and you keep having to go to the well of quote-unquote spirituality or theology or the Bible or whatever it is that your tradition says you need to get a little bit of this over here so that it can transform your life over here. And what eco-spirituality, holistic eco-spirituality and a dirty theology, uh, what I want to argue is that that paradigm doesn't exist. Uh, There's not a little bit of uh, sacred over here and then your real life concerns over here. There's not a spirituality over there that is some pure form thing that uh, St. Francis or Augustine or Hildegard, for that matter, or um, Teilhard de Chardin uh, or any other scholar that you can name uh, figured out so that you could take a little bit of what they got and bring it into your life. Uh, I just want to say that paradigm doesn't exist. Uh, there's not a little thing that you can get from the scripture and then bring it back into your life. But what Jesus is doing is laying out a kind of framework that is about crossing boundaries, uh, about eliminating barriers the very concept of these barriers of clean and unclean, spiritual and not spiritual, pure and impure. He's doing away with that paradigm by the way he's living, defending the poor, healing the sick. And so a dirty theology challenges us to do the same, not as doers, but as receivers. So 
maybe a question is, is it possible for us to honestly examine our lives, culture, spirituality, uh, in these conventions that leave us stagnant, stubborn, unchanged? Uh, is, it, is it possible to have these subverted and crossed so that we can be transformed? So thinking about it, not necessarily as us being the ones that have to go out and subvert all these different things, but to have our own conventions subverted and crossed, our, our own boundaries crossed so that we can be transformed. Sometimes we put ourselves too often in the position of hero where we're having to go out there subverting and crossing boundaries and doing all the things so that other people can be transformed into the way that we think the world should be transformed. But in a dirty theological perspective, we are the ones that have to have our boundaries crossed over and over and over again. Uh, this is the wind of grace uh, that says Christ will dirty our lives and our clean ways of being. Uh, we have to be born again and again and again into this reality. Um, this is why I want to pair dirty theology with a kind of Christian eco-spirituality. Oftentimes, eco-spirituality is, is framed from the perspective of a person who is environmentally conscious, who's some kind of environmental uh, spiritual curator, uh, someone who cares deeply about the environment. A lot of people that have influenced me, people like Thomas Berry. Um, and oftentimes people in eco-spirituality, and particularly Christian eco-spirituality, put these people as the, the heroes. I mean, they really are great people who uh, have things to have wisdom and have things to teach us. However, I think sometimes the, the, the trap or the temptation is that we, um, we get caught up trying to, to, to aspire to be uh, the next Thomas Berry. When I just think this paradigm is maybe not the most helpful. Um, so like I said, we take a Bible verse here and a Bible verse there and we'll say, see, God inspires us to love our world and all creation. Um, some will even go a step further to say, uh, as we identify with creation, we begin to not see ourselves as separate from the natural world, but uh, deeply a part of the natural world. We have a growing kinship with our world. But I think it's helpful to go m f way further beyond that. Uh, Eco-spirituality uh, still compels us at some level to be the savior or maybe a disciple to go out into the world saving cultivating creation, teaching others, you know, creating disciples of all nations uh, to become eco-spiritual heroes. But I don't think a dirty theology gives us that permission. But I don't think a, a dirty theological perspective would necessarily disagree with the positive outcomes that sometimes comes a, as a result of that um, and comes as a result of people that are saving the environment. Um, but the engine of those environmental practices, motivations for eco-spirituality are, I would argue, different. Uh, an eco-spirituality of the dirt does not assume the role of delivering the good news, but of receiving the good news, learning and then responding, always receiving. So I wanna, I wanna briefly, I mentioned that I think this is a narrative that is all over the Bible, I think this is the primary generative um, liberating force in the Gospels and the life of Jesus. But I want to look at it, just a couple of stories and concepts that I hope will offer some food uh, 
for thought about how we can talk about eco-spirituality that doesn't have to be uh, unattainable. It can be, it can be beneficial to us right here and now. It can be a, a true gift, uh, and it doesn't have to be uh, an otherworldly endeavor. Um, it, it can be mundane and and gritty. You don't have, like, essentially, you don't have to be Saint Francis to embrace eco spirituality. Uh, so in John four, there's the story of Jesus encountering the woman at the well. Everybody's heard this story pretty much. Um, but I'll start reading in verse 5. Jesus comes to a town in Samaria near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came up to him to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews were not supposed to associate with Samaritans. Okay, I'll stop there. Uh, so not only does Jesus cross this cultural barrier of speaking with a Samaritan woman, uh, but it, it's interesting that he asks her for a drink. And I think whenever we're talking about this perspective of dirty theology in relation to eco-spirituality, it's important to highlight the a sort of generative space in which we are called to live in this way. And I think Jesus demonstrates this well here by allowing himself and allowing the moment, allowing that to be, uh, to, to allow himself to be the receiver of that sacred gift. And Jesus often displaces himself in boundary-crossing moments uh, like this uh, as a way of showing that everything is sacred but not in a way that is bending the world towards his will. Like in this moment, he is allowing, uh, allowing this gift to be given to him. And by putting himself on the receiving end and in the situation with the Samaritan woman, he is doing all kinds of boundary crossing, eliminating the convention of what is clean and unclean, proper and improper. Thomas Merton says, we will not save what we do not love. It is also not true that we will neither love nor save what we do not experience as sacred. And Jesus not only says in moments like this that everything is sacred, but the way in which he does it, in which he allows himself to be the receiver of the gift, is important. Because he's not going into every situation trying to be the giver, be, you know, <laughs> to be preachy in any kind of way. Um, Jesus not only challenges, in this particular case, a religious and gender barrier, but he's willing to receive a gift of creation in the form of water. It reminds me that of a phrase that Cynthia Bourgeau has uh, when she calls this flow of receiving and giving the divine exchange. So I would argue that Jesus is deeply connected to nature, his environment, the people that he's interacting with and their real concerns, systems, and injustices, all of that is incorporated into the dynamic in which he meets this woman at the well. But the way that he goes about it is, is really particular. And an eco-spirituality um, th that is dirty uh, and is not drawing distinctions about what is clean and unclean, sacred and secular, um, 
but is also not ignoring the real concerns, systems, and injustices of the day. Uh, there's something really powerful about allowing that to exist in the moment and then moving from that space of grace uh, that allows the liberation to, um, to unfold. There's, there's another story that came to mind. There's so many gospel stories that I think you can, as I was thinking about this, I was like, oh, that story, that story. Uh, another one that came to mind was uh, Jesus walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath and the brief part of the story goes that uh, at the time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, this is from the Matthew version, his disciples were hungry and began to pick heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw them, they said, look, your, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus replied, have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for them to eat, but only for priests. Or have you not read the law? on the Sabbath when the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are innocent. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If only you had known the meaning of I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Once again, Jesus orients... Somebody's at the door. All right. Once again, Jesus reorients a religious constraint. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And I think, broadly speaking, we live in a world of sacrifice, which, which might sound strange at, at, at first, but what I mean is we live in a world of restrictions, conventions, expectations that place, particularly in uh, a culture of extreme climate unrest and all the, crisis, uh, all the crises that we face, uh, all these expectations place undue pressures on on people, and obviously our planet. So in a world that demands sacrifice, um, there is not, there's not much room for mercy and liberation. And I think dirty theology and eco-spirituality challenge us to be receivers and then givers of mercy. So how might our engagement with our environment, uh, politics, be different if we began as receivers of mercy and then givers of mercy? Kelly often talks about living from the perspective of abundance, which I believe is related because we don't see this in our culture and in our environment that are often a zero-sum game. Uh, and I think mercy crosses conventions, and that's why it falls in this category of, of dirty theology. It crosses conventions. It crosses boundaries, expectations. Uh, we're allowed to, to free ourselves and our world in this divine exchange of receiving and giving. We're allowed to participate into this. Uh, and I think, the, I think the story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan at the well, I just keep going back to that image of allowing the moment to be, allowing himself to receive the gift, and in allowing himself to receive the gift, putting himself in that situation, all of these boundaries and conventions are crossed. I've said it before, whether you're running a marathon or listening to a concert or marching for a cause, watching the sunset, 
oftentimes our greatest moments are when we are wrapped up in this flow of ex divine exchange where there's nothing to prove or gain, but there's just presence and allowing. Um, Richard Rohr often calls God the great allower. And I think that fits into this line of thinking, the great allower. Uh, Eco-spirituality is always challenging our assumptions. It's not us challenging other people's assumptions or us telling people uh, what they need to know uh, or change about their engagement in the environment. Yeah, all that needs to happen. A lot needs to change. Uh, but eco-spirituality is about having our boundaries crossed. The resurrected Christ eats breakfast on the beach with the disciples. The resurrected Christ asks Thomas to put his finger in his wound. Eco, Christian eco-spirituality is messy and dirty and definitely attainable. As Mary Oliver would say, you do not have to walk on your knees for 100 miles through the desert repenting. And I think we see this vision of eco-spirituality and dirty theology continuing to develop with the apostles. Uh, you probably remember the story of Peter in Acts when Peter has this vision of this giant napkin being lowered from the heavens with all kinds of animals, and there's a voice that tells him to get up and you know, kill it, eat all these animals, and Peter's like, oh, I can't eat anything unclean, and the voice says, never consider unclean what God has made clean. This idea that what God is doing in our world is even eliminating the conventions of what we consider to be clean and unclean, pure and impure, in or out whether that's us or some sort of convention or expectation that we have in our lives, eco-spirituality is there to convert us over and over and over again to the unexpected gifts that are right in front of us. Christian eco-spirituality, dirty theology, whatever you want to call it, it calls us into deeper kinship with all of creation because we are first receivers of mercy, blessed life and energy, to give ourselves permission to be givers of what already exists, which we don't own. This is dirty because we don't get to call ourselves clean or get to be the heroes of our own ecological story so we can go to tell other people how great we are. We get to be continuously drawn into the subversive and scandalous love where our walls are always brought down so we can experience the depth of what is here and now flowing with the divine life as it always has and always will. And I'll close with the words we began with from Hildegard of Bingen. God is a life that bestows life, root of the world tree and wind in its branches. She is glistening life, alluring all praise, all awakening, all resurrecting. So as always, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty and live life to the fullest.
sailed on the oceans and upon our seas, fish full of mercury.